Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, today we're going to hit a question I think most of us have heard. The question is, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you ever heard that? How many ever wondered that? Now, here's the interesting part to this. When I say, why do bad things happen to good people? Most of us think of one thing that happened to one person, right? When, when we say, why do bad things happen to good people? Some of us think, well, why did that thing happen to me? Or why did such and such happen to my wonderful grandmother? Or something like that. And so I want to, I want to start by helping us understand how to, to look at the question. There is not one reason why every bad thing happens to every good person. So I have 21 pages of notes and we're gonna hit a few different reasons that these things happen. But I need you to understand, as you listen, some of these will apply to the situation you're thinking about. Some of them won't. So when I come forward and I say, here is one of the reasons that a bad thing happens to a good person, don't be like, well, that's not what happened to me. He's wrong. Not necessarily. There are a couple of extreme views that, that put up people at a disadvantage when considering this. The first one I want to just address is extreme sovereignty. And that's the idea that everything that happens is both caused by God and desired by God. If you have that understanding, if you believe that nothing happens that wasn't exactly what God wanted to happen, then you are very frustrated anytime something does not look right. And we have talked about this, so I don't feel like I need to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, Pastor Emily spoke just a few weeks ago talking about free will, and she talked about um, the results of that, and she talked about, and she, used, she mentioned the verse, the Bible says that God wills that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Will every person repent and be saved? But the Bible is clear that's what God desires. We have to recognize, yes, God is at work in the world, but not everything that happens is exactly what God wished most would happen. There are things he desires, such as salvation for all, that do not happen, and then there are reasons why they don't, and we're going to get to some of that. The other extreme that, that puts people at a disadvantage when trying to understand why do bad things happen to good people is, I'll call it, extreme faith. Every bad thing that happens is because you lack faith. If you would have just believed better, then you'd just coast by. We look at scripture. There is not a single person in scripture that never faced hardship. Paul wrote the New Testament. He had a lot of faith. Abraham had a lot of faith. We look over and over and over again. Simply put, 
There are challenges that come in life. We'll look at some of the reasons why they happen. But it is not always. Now, can something happen that could have been avoided with a prayer of faith? Absolutely. But that is not always the case. And the third extreme I'm going to look at, I'll call it the extreme demonic. And that is everything bad happens because of a demon and you can't really do anything about it. You know what? The demon caused this and the devil made me do it and the devil made me, I think it's Skip Wilson famously said, the devil made me do it. Just on that note before I get distracted. Do you guys remember the, the, the demon possessed man in the garden of the, the, um, the gatherings? Excuse me. The Bible says that he was so possessed by demons that they would tie him with chains and he would break them and he would run around in the, the tombs and live in the caves where they put the dead bodies and he ran around. When he heard that Jesus was coming, he was filled with demons who were to the capacity of causing him to break chains. The demons did not want to leave him. You know what he did? He walked straight up to Jesus and said, help. He had power over a legion of demons within him. Now, was it easy? Probably not. But our free will, his ability to choose, I want to be free. I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to ask for help. And we know the story. Jesus spoke to the demons. They didn't want to leave. They said, please, just put us in those pigs. And then he did. And then they, they caused the pigs to commit suicide. But the point to, to recognize is he had the ability to go against the will of the demons that were even oppressing and possessing him. All right. So we want to look at perspective. Perspective. I want you to imagine Christmas morning. How many of you guys can remember Christmas morning? How many of you guys had siblings? How many of you remember that fear that they might get a better present than you? <laughs> now, picture Christmas morning. And one of the kids opens the first present, and it's awesome. What if the other kid throws a fit immediately? How dare you? That's not fair. He got a better gift. Better than what? You haven't even opened yours yet. Realize, he's all upset because right now, at this moment, that person has more, a better gift than what I have. And if you're the parent, you're like, look, hold on. Christmas isn't over yet. There's more presents under the tree. A lot of times, our perspective is like that kid. We're throwing a fit. Look what they got and what I have, and it's not fair. They're not good people. I'm good people. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the, the beggar and the rich man. And he says to him, son, remember in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and see, you are in agony. There is inescapable justice. God will right the wrongs. 
Proverbs 22, 22 and 23 says, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. See, a lot of times we take a snapshot. 8.37 and 30 seconds on Christmas morning. It's not fair. He has a better gift than I do. Not realizing that God is looking at a complete picture. He says in Romans 12.9, it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. First Corinthians, First Timothy, excuse me, 5.24 says it more clearly than anything else. It says, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Let me read that again. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. What does that mean? That means sometimes the sin that people commit brings consequences that arrive before judgment. They may, it, 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 they, whatever they did may have caused um, emotional stress, it may cause diseases, it may cause issues, it may put, they may end up in, in jail, they may, there are, sometimes we look at someone's life and we say, wow, I see the, the, the consequences of their bad choices have already caught up with them. But the Bible says there are others where the consequences don't come until judgment. You and I look at, at, at situations and we're like, well, there's a bad person and things are going good for them this morning and there's a good person and things don't seem to be going as well for them as they do for him God says some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment but some those of some will follow later so one of the reasons that bad things happen to good people is free will. Acts chapter 17, 24 says, the God who made the world and everything in it, this is Paul explaining who God is to a group of people who didn't know. He says, God who made everything. What did God do? He made everything. And then he goes, verse 25 says, and he has not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations. What did he do? He made everybody that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. Here it comes. Why did God do that? Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him. You were created so that you would choose to seek him and perhaps, not guaranteed, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Ravi Zacharias, a famous um, apologetic and theologian, said this. He said, you cannot have love without free will. You just can't. 
Love is the choice to care, to prioritize, to value. We've used the example so many times. If somebody puts a gun to your head and then says, now propose, tell that person you love them. I love you. It doesn't mean anything. But if they choose, we have, we have a newly engaged couple in the back who are smirking like crazy when I said that. Because he asked her to marry him. He chose her. Was it special? Yeah. It matters because he chose her. If he'd had no choice, then it would not have been special. Wouldn't matter. God made us for relationship. And it is necessary for love to exist that choice also exists. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. This is interesting. It says whatever a man sows, he will reap. In other words, what you plant, you harvest. What you do brings results. But what's interesting to me is the verse says God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. What it's implying is if your actions did not have the consequences for them. If you didn't plant a seed and it grow, if there was not cause and effect, then God would be mocked. Why would it be a mockery of God to imply that consequences have no action or actions have no consequences? Because God created the world. And he created it with with laws. Laws of gravity. What goes up? comes back down. We know that. There are so many principles in in life that function, and God created those. And if we woke up one day, and half the things that you lifted up didn't fall back down, and if if, if suddenly actions didn't have consequences, and all of these predictable principles and scientific laws just were suspended or became random... What would we say? Whoever made this really messed up. God says he created the world. And to imply that, oh, you know what? I can go be stupid and I'll never have any consequences. It doesn't apply to me. That's mocking God. Malachi chapter 3. Let's read this verse, these verses. I am the Lord, I do not change. This is why you, descendants of Jacob, are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you. So, God says... Consequences would have already come on you if it wasn't for me. Return to me, and I'll return to you. But you ask, how can we return to you if we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? 
When did you ever cheat you? Well, you have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavens, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. See, consequences aren't just negative. God says, yeah, you're under a curse because you disobeyed. But when you do right, when you obey, watch the blessing that will come, the consequences that will come there. Just as God has put into play negative consequences for bad decisions, he's also put into play positive consequences for the right decisions. He says, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail, fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of the heavens and the armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heavens. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, right, hold before you read ahead. It was something terrible, right? What, just, just for a second, imagine, what sort of terrible thing do you think that they probably said? You have said, what is the use of serving God? What have we to gain by obeying his commandments? Whoa. I venture to guess that some of us we're expecting something a little worse than that. Not something that we probably done ourselves. He says, you said something terrible. That terrible thing was, what's the point? God doesn't see, notice, care, nor does it matter if I do the right thing. I think about young people who are dating. What's the point? Why would I do things God's way? Ah, it's not like it's going to turn out any better. Really? Or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins. For now, on we, from now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God who dare, who dare God to punish them, suffer no harm. He says, if you think that those who do good end up suffering for it, nice guys finish last. And if you think that people who do wrong suffer no harm, and you go around saying that, that's the terrible things that you have said about God. He says, it is a terrible perspective, and wrong, by the way, to look at the world and think, oh, there's no benefit to doing right, and there's no consequence to doing wrong. To say that, to believe that, God says, it's a terrible perspective, it's a terrible, he says, you're speaking something terrible, because it's not true. Now, why do we think it's true? Because we're like that kid on Christmas morning at 8.37. We're taking assessment of what's going on, and we're like, it's unfair. Let's continue. 
Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's army. On that day, what day? That day. When I act in judgment... They will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Christmas isn't over. When we sit there and complain about how much they have and how little we have and what they got and, what I, and the present that they got to open and that's not as good as my present. God is like the, the, the parent who, who did the math, who knew what everybody wanted and needed and is all set up and it's wrapped, it's under the tree. He says, in that day, when it's all said and done on the day of judgment, it's gonna be even. He says, it's going to be even. In that day, then again, you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. We're taking score before the game is over and declaring a winner and a loser. If you're in baseball and one team gets up to bat and they make five runs, can you call them the winners? Even before the other team even got up to bat? Oh, look at that. They've got five runs. They've got none. They're the winners. They're the losers. I mean, it's obvious. But that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're in the middle of life. We're right there and we're like, oh, we're going to declare the winner. We're going to declare the loser. There's no value in doing the right thing. Look at that. It hasn't paid off yet. But God says, that is not Right. Another interesting perspective is that pain may not be desirable, but it's, it's only a feeling, as is joy, yet pain is not just suffering. It's also a warning sign and protects us from danger. Not every difficult situation is bad. How many of you ever burnt your finger how many liked it I don't but you know what there's a condition called leprosy where your body loses its ability to feel and when that happens people destroy their own body because they're no longer warned of what they shouldn't do they stub their toe don't even know it Rub it. They, 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 they touch something hot, they burn it, they don't pull away. So it just keeps searing. When we look at a situation, not every situation that's unpleasant is, is a bad situation. Not, I'm not, I'm, look at me. Please do not misunderstand me. And we're going to get to this. I am not saying when something truly horrific happens, when a young child dies of cancer, that, you know what, we don't know how, but it was probably better for every. Ah! 
The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I am not implying that everything that happens was somehow good. and No, there is an enemy. He is out there. He is wicked, and his desire is to mess things up. Okay? There is such a thing as a bad thing, but I'm pointing out some of the things that we call bad. Remember what I said? Not every one of these answers is going to apply to your situation. When you think, why did this happen to me or that happen to them? Not every explanation is going to be there. Sometimes what we consider to be a curse is a blessing in disguise. Not every time. And I don't want you guys to go home and be like, Pastor said the reason that our child died of cancer was because it was a blessing in disguise. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there are times. Take some well-intentioned young person who believes they found the love of their life and then they end up breaking up. And they're like, it's over. It's completed. They have no idea what they were just saved from. God has got a better plan. They were about to get stuck in a very unpleasant situation, and they, they, but they don't see it that way. Anyway, continuing. I want to, to avoid a theology that has every answer. Okay? As I've said before, some of these situations, some of these, these understandings and principles will apply to the situation you're thinking of. Some of them won't. I also don't want to imply that I will answer every single situation. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may dwell in the words of the law. There are things that we will not understand to the fullest. But we have to understand God's character and recognize that he loves us that he has promised justice, that he has promised that in that day, when it's all said and done, we're gonna look and say, yep, it was worth it to do right, and those who didn't paid the price, or the price was paid for them. But there was always a price paid. Psalms 8, 4, through six says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. We talk a lot in this church about the authority that God has given us and the dominion that scripture talks about. Dominion is rule. It's responsibility. God gave us dominion, and he gave us free will. Genesis 2, 15, 
In the Amplified, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and guard and to keep it. Luke 4, 6 says, And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whomever I please. Satan wasn't bluffing when he said to Jesus, I have been given authority. I'll give it to you if you will worship me. Remember that? Like that was his one big play. He got his chance. Jesus, Jesus is out in the desert. Devil comes to him. Do you think he came up in, in and his biggest play was a giant bluff against the omnipotent God who knows it all? No. He had been given authority. Where did he get it? From man. He, God gave it to man. Man gave it to the devil. Jesus went and took it back. Okay? A lot of bad theology regarding bad things happening and suffer comes from Job. Job is the first book of the Bible chronologically to be written. Genesis talks about what happened in the beginning, but how many of you realize it wasn't written by Adam, it was written by Abraham. And Abraham was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling what happened before. The first book of the Bible to be written down was Job. He didn't have the benefit of anything else. And he was telling the story of what happened in his life and what he learned through it. In Job 19.6, this is what Job says. Okay, It's true that Job said this. But in a minute, we're going to determine whether Job was right. Job said in verse 19.6, he said, Then know God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Job says, God wronged me. It's recorded in scripture. It is accurately recorded that that's what Job said. But was Job right when he said it? Okay? Look at Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 2. This is when God himself shows up and starts talking to the various parties. We've got Job, we've got his family, we've, that, that died, we've got his friends that came and they offered their ideas on what was happening and he's trying to figure out what's going on and why is it happening and look, God has done me wrong and they're like, well, let, you know, does this happen, does that happen? And they're all opining about it. And then God shows up. Verse, chapter 38, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? God's first line when he shows up is, Who has been saying all of this malarkey? You're wrong. Who is this that has darkened counsel without knowledge? Another translation says. In other words, God shows up and says, mm, you're wrong. Now let me set you straight. For two chapters, he says, you've been listening to them, but let me give you my resume. Who has created the world and done all this stuff? And you read for two chapters, it's all of this stuff about all that God has done. And then verse 8 of chapter 40 it says, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? 
God says, when you say it's, I was twisted and wrong and I wronged you, what you're doing is you're saying, I, who created everything with all this omnipotent understanding and everything, you're saying, I messed up because you just want to clear your name? He's, it's, it's, <laughs> it's wrong. God comes on the scene and he says, no, I didn't do you wrong. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We've talked about this before. But sin entered the world. And I remember being upset when I was a kid because I was like, man, Adam blew it and now I'm in trouble. Why didn't he just make me responsible for myself and you responsible for yourself and you responsible for yourself and I could have probably, you know, held out longer than Adam. I mean, first thing he couldn't do, he up and did it. But the thing is, maybe I could have held out a little longer, but we would have all sinned. And what's interesting is because sin entered through one man, salvation also can enter through one man. You realize that if God, instead of allowing Adam to represent us, and knowing, again, here's the thing, he didn't represent us wrong. That's the part where we think, well, he represented me, but I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. One way or another, you would have. And remember, he didn't have to, like, kill someone or rob a bank. He just flat out, all he had to do was disobey. Do what he knew was wrong. Big or small, it's all sin. Eventually, you or I would have done what we knew was wrong. But if we were each responsible, then we would have, if there was no way to be represented, then each of us would individually have to pay. But because God allowed Adam to represent us in what we would have done anyway and have done, by the way, okay, not just would have, but did, each and every one of us did it. Eventually, we sinned. So by allowing Adam to represent us in what we would do, Jesus can now represent us in paying the price for that. So what a blessing. But Satan is a reason. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Does the devil exist? Yes. Does he do harm? Yes. I don't want to create a theology where every single time you step... I'll give you an example. Right now, my elbow is sore, my knee is sore. It wasn't the devil's fault. I went mountain biking yesterday. And I came around a really loose, like, sandy turn. It was actually hard-packed dirt with just earth with a little bit of looseness on it. I came around and just collapsed, just wham. 
down on there. That wasn't the devil's fault. That was my fault. I was having a little too much fun. I went a little too fast. I don't want to create the scenario believing that behind every bad thing that happens, the devil was there. But you know something? The Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is out there. He is trying. There are spiritual forces acting against us, trying to stir up hatred, bitterness, anger, frustration, torment. And it's not always, again, I struggle where to find the balance because if I give examples that seem frivolous, then some people are going to go away. Every situation is a demon. But they're there. The, the devil wants to drive a wedge in your marriage. He wants everything to just feel like a mountain. He wants to create frustration and torment. I, I'm debating whether I should tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So, there was an a evangelist who, who I sat and listened to, and he, he had a prophetic ministry. He cast out a lot of demons. and There was this situation. He was talking to a lady, and, and the Holy Spirit showed him that she was being oppressed by a demon. And to his shock, he said, that demon was straightening her hair. She's like, it's true. This is like back in the 80s when perms were like the thing. She's like, I get a perm, the next day it's straight. I am just destroyed. And the thing is, I don't think the devil really cared what hairstyle he had. she had. What he did was he found something that was an absolute torment to her. And he would just go and go. And in this situation, he cast the demon out prayed against this. This lady went and got a perm and it's took for the first time in her life. Now, I don't want to create people running around thinking that every single time you're hair, you have a bad hair day, that a demon did it. But what I want you to understand is that when you think, oh, I'm the one choosing to, to just make a mountain out of that molehill, that, that the devil is right there trying to help you. Remember Peter, when he tried to talk Jesus out of dying? Jesus turned and said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus recognized there was a demonic influence behind his agenda. There is a devil, and he is trying to make our lives, miserably, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Bible says that if you resist the devil, he will flee. So when's the last time the devil fled? The last time you resisted him. James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let's read that again. Do not be deceived, when the Bible says don't be deceived, that's because a lot of people will be deceived. So what the Bible is saying is, watch out. A lot of people are going to be confused about this. Don't be one of them. What are they confused about? They're confused about the idea that every good and perfect gift doesn't come from the Father. And it says that there is no variation or shadow of turning. We've talked about this. What do shadows do? In the morning, the sun comes up, 
Got to get my bearings here. The sun comes up over there, and the shadow is over here. In the evening, the sun goes down over there, and the shadow's over here. So shadows point in opposite directions every morning and afternoon. And God says, that's not what God is like. If you have a picture that one day God is blessing you and he gave you that great job and he got you a raise and then he got you laid off and he got you fired. And then the next day, you know, he, he gave you a great skin complexion and then, you know, then he smote you with a bunch of zits on the weekend. And then, right, like people have this idea that God is back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. The Bible says he's not. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Period. The Bible describes what things will look like in the end. Revelation 21, 2 through 5 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and they will be, or, uh, and he will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words are true and faithful. There will be a time when there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more. The, heaven doesn't just, we don't just float up and go live on a cloud. The Bible says God sends New Jerusalem down to a re-created earth. Like, this is coming. Like I said, Christmas isn't over. All the presents haven't been opened yet. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who is the God of this age? That's talking about the devil. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is out there. He's looking. But it says he is seeking whom he may. How many of you remember the difference between may and can? Can I go to the bathroom? And then the teacher says, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> may I use the restroom? See, the devil is seeking whom he may devour. Who gives him unopposed access? He can't devour just anyone. Because if we resist the devil, he will flee. All right. I think it's number five, but I might be off on my count. Another thing that, that causes bad things to happen. Doing foolish things can bring catastrophic results. Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? This idea, popular with teenagers, if it's not my time, I'm not going. I'm going to try something really dumb. See what happens. The Bible says you, that you can die before your time. 
There, God can have plans for you, and if you don't do something foolish and stupid, you can be dead before God's plans are fulfilled for you. Also, other bad things less than death can happen as a result of stupid choices. It says, do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. So wickedness can bring precipitous judgment or bad things. So can foolishness. What would an example of wickedness be? Amon, one of David's sons, raped his own sister, which upset his brother, who then killed him. His wickedness brought on his death. That's an easy one. Foolishness. Get drunk, decide to see how many stop signs you can run. This has happened. People have done this. And then they wonder why God chose to take and pluck that flower early. God didn't choose that. They did. They chose to be foolish. I'll hit one more before we stop. We're on page 7 of 21. Our words. Ephesians chapter 6, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. James 3, 5 through 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how a great forest of little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. When we went through the James series, we took a few moments and we talked a little bit about the power of our words. Do you guys remember the story of the 12 spies? They went in to, to spy out the land, to make the plan for the Israelites to come through. The Israelites had been given a promise by God. I'm taking you to this place. I'm going to give it to you. And then these 12 guys go out to check out what's the land look like that's been promised to us. And they see these big cities and they see giants living in those cities and they see amazing crops and they bring back a, a bunch of grapes that had to be carried between two men on a pole. And they come back, and there were 12 of them. Ten of them said, it's too much, the cities are too strong, the people are too tall, they're too big, we cannot make it. We can't take this land. Two of them said, it's amazing, it's awesome, God will be with us, let's go take it. Henry Ford once said, he who says he can and he who says he can't are both right. In this case, that's what happened. The 10 who said they couldn't, didn't. The, ten, the two who said they could were literally the only two over the age of 40 who ended up going in. The Bible says that they received what they said. As a result of what they spoke, they received. And that entire generation who decided to agree with the 10 spies and speak what they spoke 
and agree with what they said died in the wilderness. And the next generation, plus those two guys who had said that they could, went in. And they received what they said. Your words matter. Romans 10, 6 through 8 says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Faith speaks. Faith doesn't just believe. Faith says what it believes. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word near, near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. What we say matters. And I want to keep going, but we're out of time. So we're going to talk again next week, and we're going to keep going. How many of this has been a blessing? All right. Why do bad things happen to good people? There are, there are a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. But we know, know a couple of things. We know that God is good, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. There is no shadow of turning. He is not back and forth. And we also know that there is justice. Even those, when we look and see a situation, we think it's not fair, that's because it's not fair yet. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have shown us there. Lord, I pray that you will continue to, to teach us, to show us how we can apply the things that you have shown us in your word to bring the, the virtues of your kingdom to pass here on earth as well as to fulfill your purposes in our lives, Lord. We just pray wisdom on every person here. We pray peace and blessing on each home. Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 